0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pot and Point Podcast. My name is Vladimir Bosanek, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike McPhee. Mike, say hi. Hello, everyone.
1: Welcome to our podcast. This is a podcast where we're going to talk about sports, business, the business of sport, and everything in between. We'll address news, we'll talk about what's interesting, and we'll put our unique spin and analysis on it.
0: Yeah, eventually we're going to interview some interesting people as well, and we're going to make sure this is fun and informative for everyone. A little bit about us as we get going here. We're two great friends, also dads. We've both worked for some interesting companies over the years. And most importantly, uh, college athletes and so our stories are going to focus on the intersection of all of those experiences.
1: Absolutely. And that's right, Vlad. We're going to bring this to you from mobile studios as well. It's all the rage. Vlad's checking in from Seattle, the Jet City. And I'm in the Rocky Mountain City, the mile-high city known as Denver but we have a global sports perspective and we're gonna talk about all the sports out there, everything that we see that's interesting, and we hope you'll join us each and every week as we journal the globe and talk sports and business. All right, Vlad, you ready?
0: Let's go. Mike, we're back. Yes, we are. Another another good show I think is gonna happen this week.
1: I agree. Got a different, uh, different angle than previous ones. So take yeah. us through it,
0: Vlad. So in this show, Mike, we're going to talk about American soccer or football. But we're not going to talk about American football. <laughs> Was that clear? <laughs> Did I yeah. confuse everyone?
1: Yeah, a football guy over here saying, what, what, are, you t- what are you talking about here? No, it's I like both sport, footballs.
0: It's that sport, and everywhere else in the world is called football. But in this country, it's called soccer. So we're, we're, we're going to have some soccer stories today. Let's do it. Anyway, so um, we're going to run through our speed round first, and that's going to take us to the Ball Corporation, which is partnering with Crunky Sports, the owner of Arsenal in the UK's Premier League, Mm -hmm. Uh, also LA Rams, Denver Nuggets, Colorado Avalanche, and Colorado Rapids. The two companies have a deal to rename the Pepsi Center in Denver, so we'll we'll touch upon that.
1: Very timely.
0: Then we're going to stay here in the US, but we're going to talk about La Liga, the Spanish Soccer League, uh, what they're doing in the US, Uh Uh, very interesting story there. And finally, we're going to round up the speed round into an analysis with 538 about the increasing scoring in the UK's Premier League following COVID. So, okay, which is I think similar to some of the things happening in the, the NBA also. Yeah, in the NFL. Yep. And then following the speed round, we're going to go over to my alma mater, Georgetown, where we have the honor today of talking to the men's soccer head coach. Uh, Georgetown is the latest NCAA soccer national champ champion. And Brian Weiss, the coach, will talk to us about this program and the state of the sport in the country. So ready to kick it off, Mike? Let's do it, Vlad. All right, Vlad, our first story
1: in the speed round is breaking today. And didn't see this one coming, but who does? Because that's what a breaking story is all about, right? So, <laughs> yes. yeah, exactly. So, So after 21 years, effectively today, after 21 years, the Pepsi Center here in Denver, Colorado, is going to get a new name. And uh, when you when you figure out what's going on here, super timely, given what we heard from Rich Brand around how naming rights works and sponsors and wanting business yep. value, this thing is coming to life before our eyes, and I think it hits all the high points he gave us just in our last show. So let's take us through it here, Vlad, and, and just want to gain your thoughts. So this is being pitched as a groundbreaking deal, and and, and I think it actually is because the deal here is Cronky Sports, they own Arsenal in London, L.A. Rams, most of Colorado sports, Denver Nuggets, yeah. Avalanche, Colorado Rapids, the Colorado Mammoth the lacrosse team, they own them all, right? So very diversified. Then the Ball Corporation is a longtime aluminum company based here in Denver as well. 125 years or so. And, and you're wondering, now, why would they put their name on an arena or on a, on a venue? And here's where it gets interesting. So the deal's rumored to be 8 to 12 million per year. That term hasn't come out. But what's more important is as as Rich talked us through how how sponsor companies are wanting to see true business value for their names on buildings. It looks like ball is driving for that too. So what they've done here Vlad is they've signed a deal across three different properties with Cronky Sports. Okay. And they're getting the name on the arena here. So Pepsi Center is no more Okay. It's now Ball Arena effective today. Ball Arena where the Nuggets and Avalanche will play downtown.
0: Which is where they play ball, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So Ball Arena, <laughs> great name. Hockey will have to fit into there too. It's not Puck right. Arena, but roll with it. But but they're also going to they're going to garner some real brand equity because they're going to be a sustainability partner. They're going to replace all paper and bottles in the building with aluminum cans, interesting. including including an aluminum cup. That'll be interesting how a, how a soda is served or a beer is served. And then they've signed that deal across three major arenas. So it's the Ball Arena, yep. So SoFi Stadium. Kroenke owns that one that just yep. opened in L.A. Yep. And then he owns the Emirates, which is where the Arsenal play in London. So three really high-profile arenas. So you're going to get a brand equity uptick, I think, in, in, in naming and sustainability side of it. You get your supplies in those venues, and then you get – maybe some building of awareness for being a chief supplier for other venues with this new aluminum yeah, cup and things.
0: right. Super so, interesting.
1: Right, what Rich was talking about, right, is that it's yep. not just names on buildings anymore. It's business value to what they're involved in.
0: Yeah, what I found super interesting here is this reminds me a little bit of the Climate Pledge Arena in, in Seattle, You know, meaning the company is sort of trying to push kind of not just a name but sort of what they stand for, right? Yeah, yeah. And in this case, you know, aluminum, recyclable material, right? Um I suspect if they're going to replace paper and plastic cups that they're going to have some kind of a you know collectible where they I don't know melt them and create new cups or I don't know how they're gonna do it. Just build a virtual cycle. it will be right? interesting. Yeah. No, yeah. this is um this is super interesting and um and I'm sort of curious, you know, how they leverage that, you know, not in just the uh, the arena, but does it become part of the experience also, right? Because it sounds like you know i mean when i if I were to take my kids anywhere now, you know they are now asking me questions like, you know what happens to this cup like is this garbage is this recyclable or not and and this could be uh you know very timely in terms of you know culturally where, where Yeah, it sounds are. cool,
1: yeah, it sounds really cool, doesn't it so that just came out today
0: yeah that's that's very interesting so um Mike, one of my discussion points here is la liga, the spanish uh soccer league la liga uh yes. has actually come to the U.S., which I had no idea that La Liga has a group called La Liga North America. Uh, Very interesting. Um, What they're doing actually is very innovative and they're thinking of, you know, new ways how to penetrate this, you know, Market, so which mm-hmm. is super creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're kind of wondering why MLS is not doing this, uh, but you know maybe it's it's for them to now figure out how to be more com- more competitive on their on their home front. Okay, but um, La Liga is doing a couple of things. So in the U.S., it's partnering with a company called Live Like to host a series of kind of watch parties, mm. and these watch parties will be you know essentially. Uh, exclusive events that La liga is going to hold in the u s kind of during during matches of of some very important you know soccer matches back in spain so you 're going to be able to kind of watch it live if if you will okay. but then there 's going to be a content component there as well where where you know certain players uh are going to come up and you know talk about what is what is happening so it 's more interactive right. And I think they're probably going to do it. It sounds like they're going to do it with what they call like you know super fans. So I imagine they're going to do some kind of a promotion around this where they use it as a way to you know collect people's names and interests and that kind of stuff. But I thought that was super interesting way of of kind of engaging with a with a massive market that I think is in a way untapped for soccer. What what, what do you think about this move, Mike?
1: I I, I love it, and and certainly a. A, a, a customer acquisition play with you know with the classic business lens of of they're coming onto the U.S. turf, going to give an opportunity to watch El Clasico when you've got Barcelona playing uh, Real Madrid or or any of the other big games. Engage with the players this isn't part of the deal that that there's a chance to have players chat at halftime um and get something that's a little bit more engaging than what we've all seen where the reporter gets the coach as they walk off right isn't yeah. this kind of promising to be a lot more enriching than that um you're going to reach the u.s consumer where premier league is already uh showcasing most of their games here in the states. so they're going to go toe-to-toe with that with a premium experience and and then technology enabled i guess it plays well even now in COVID because you probably can just do it all from your own living room um, Hundred percent. Whereas yeah. traditional watch parties used to be, you had to go somewhere and and see it in a collective experience. C- certainly fun, but but this this allows for even bigger reach because now, you know, Vlad, this probably isn't just a U.S. play. but This is probably just our version of the story. I gotta believe either with oh, a yeah. test bed for it or they're already going to do it around the world.
0: Exactly. And wh- exactly. that's a phenomenal
1: Let's, opportunity.
0: Exactly. Let's test the technology in this market, which is. Technologically savvy, and then maybe let's right. export it to China. Let's export it to other parts of Europe. Let's export it to Latin America and elsewhere. But what's what's interesting over the last few years, I've definitely seen you know Premier League advertising and on TV and that kind of stuff. and and, and the fact that now you have you know, arguably the strongest European league now coming into the U.S. Effectively, I would say, you know, overpowering the MLS um, is kind of interesting, right? And I wonder what does this do to MLS and if the MLS is thinking about this as, you know, how do we retain those eyeballs, right? Because we're distracted more and more. And you know, arguably, better soccer is now coming into our turf. I mean, that that could be that could be bad for for the MLS. But we'll we'll see. I I actually like it. Um, I I love the um, innovation of it. The other aspect of it is that they're they're also investing a lot in their home country in in Spain uh, around technology to to make these games a lot more interactive and okay. very different. So they're. Uh, doing things like, you know, repositioning broadcast cameras inside the stadiums. COVID has, you know, had a major negative effect and, you know, they don't have, you know, you know, people in the stadiums there either. Yep, yep. So what they're doing is they're kinda kind of changing some of those angles. So it's more about, you know, the sport and better views rather than kind of panning out and showing showing the people in the oh. in the in the stadium. I think they're learning something from the NBA playoffs because it looks like they're superimposing some ambient audio also. Okay. Um, they're gonna do some on screen augmented reality graphics Man. and statistics they're going to do some flying cameras that are kind of showing like kind of new ways of, you know, you know, participating in, in the, in the match, if, if you will, I I welcome all of this. I mean, this is all the kind of stuff that we've been talking about. I mean, innovation in, in this sport is, you know, long overdue. So, you know, good on them. I'm, I'm really looking forward to what, what, what they do.
1: Yeah. I like that punch list you gave us there, Vlad, where they're, they're using this as an opportunity. So with COVID and an empty building, they saw new angles, just as you said. NBA did that. They saw they could get new angles that the fans liked, and got great feedback around that. So now, how do you carry that forward even when the building fills back up again in, in whatever interval? Um, I like that augmented reality. Um, I just like that they're 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 not standing still. right? this is this is an opportunity to try some things, yep. which yep. you and I are big fans of across the whole sporting landscape, um, and. Um, and we'll, we'll contrast this here a little bit with a, with a different story I'm going to give as my next one around some innovation. But, but we're fans for, for trying, right? That's, yep. that's kind of uh, in our DNA.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Good deal. So let's uh, let's segue over to our, as we said, we kind of have our whole soccer show here. Uh, let's go with our third story here, Vlad. I've got a story that's um, been put forward by five thirty eight, which is a site that is really data intensive. They look at politics, they look at social issues, and then they got a whole sports tab, which yeah. I, I geek yeah. out on. Um, way too much, but anyway,
0: um, you you know,
1: there's just fun angles and, and, and here, we, maybe our audience, uh, geeks out on that too. So 538, go there for politics, social issues, and for sports data. If you, if you're not there, a little plug for 538. Uh, but anyway, what they've got is they've got a soccer story too. And, um, as, as you know, for, for us fans, there's always been the gripe of, there's not enough scoring in soccer, but maybe that's changing a little bit here, Vlad. There's some new information. So Premier League, uh, they had pre-COVID and post-COVID. They interestingly had about the same scoring per game, about 2.8 goals per game, pre- and okay. post-COVID, right? So, all right, not maybe that one wasn't that interesting because NBA came back from COVID and, and scoring went up a ton. Like, okay, that didn't happen. Fast forward to this season. They're four weeks in. Smaller sample, but they've got 20 games per weekend. And, yeah. and four, four games in, scoring is up to 3.8 goals per game. And, and one goal in soccer is enormous. And and that's yeah. a really interesting uptick in scoring. Th-
0: this is a 30% and bump, right, Mike? It, it,
1: it's, it's a notable jump. Wow. Um, and, and, and an anchor one that is was notable was a notable blowout. So Aston Villa, so let's go to the last couple of years in the Premier League Liverpool has just been stomping folks you know and last year they ran away with the league, defending champs got a great roster and and just the other day they lost to the team that was a place away from being relegated. They lost okay. seven to two. That, that's an unheard of score. In in in, in top tier soccer or in, in international yeah. top tier soccer, any any right seven yeah. to two right yeah. so so Liverpool defending champs goes down seven to two that's an incredible number, um, but what what five thirty eight is positing is that this is aligning with the NBA and the NFL, which have had some upshots in scoring. But let's let's contextualize that at, at, across soccer. So what's up? Um, there's been an increase in penalties across the field. There's been an increase in handball calls across the field. But also increased in the penalty area, which leads a a, a penalty shot, um, which you know uh, teams at the highest level convert yeah. at, at 70, 80 yeah. percent, right? So you're going to yep. see an increase in scoring there. I, I like this next one as an interesting one is that the lack of stadium attendance, so there's no pressure, there's not there's not the the energy from the crowd, and maybe a lack of an off season, and empty stadiums. That combo they're suggesting, maybe the players aren't as focused. And if you dip your energy just a little bit on defense and you allow a move and allow a shot, these guys are scoring at a greater rate. So that's an interesting yeah. angle. Yeah. And then this last one that, that I think ties some to what we see with the NBA is that during COVID, in the NBA, guys worked on their individual game and we saw shooting accuracy jump up up the page, right? It jumped a lot. And during the, the pandemic there's a hypothesis that soccer guys all they could do was work on you know accuracy and target shooting and the accuracy has skyrocketed for the attacking shots so they're yeah, putting a shocker, lot more in the back shocker, of the net you focus yeah.
0: on it and it improves right
1: individual skill and then you bring it back to the collective yeah. game and the whole your whole game gets better right so that that's an interesting angle but but here's where i'm going to put forward a cautionary tale and that was those first things penalties and handballs Yep. A large portion of those are coming from, in Premier League soccer, they call it the VAR, which is their instant replay or review.
0: Yep. And, yep. and
1: and and it's driving teams and fans crazy because of the increase in these, which leads to the increase in penalties, increase in scoring, and, and taking a lot of what's been customary play and, and changed it a lot. And, and Vlad, <laughs> I, I wonder aloud... Is technology actually breaking the beautiful game that we know? What do you well,
0: think? Well, well, you know, I I am not a purist in this case, and I actually love it. I, I, I want more technology because I think there have been so many games that were won or lost um, because you know the referee is like you know fifty yards away or thirty okay. yards away and can't can't see what is what is really happening. And I think there is there's a there's a lot of cheating going on here okay right? fouls and, a
1: foul call it
0: huh yeah fouls a foul we've we've seen we've seen the you know the fake falls and we've seen the you know soccer players you know rolling around holding their you know knee when <laughs> oh yeah you know, nothing yeah. nothing really happened or they weren't even yeah. you know hit. so there's there's they a lot of that acting now. here you can get a red and, card for that now like you yeah, can get thrown well, out of the game right. for that well but you know there, there's a there's a <laughs> I think there's a hashtag Neymar foul or something like that. Oh, it was Neymar! A, a couple Ooh. of years ago was a was a oh. big deal. No, I, in in all seriousness, I'm all over this. Um wow. I think this is I think this is great, and I think it's going to improve the sport. And I think, look, if um, players know that certain rules exist, they should try to honor them. And if they're all trying to sort of cheat around them, and you know, you know, pull people and hold people and kind of like you know do things that they're not supposed to be doing. This is going to cut into that and it's going to actually showcase players that are better technically and tactically and and can execute plays rather than, you know, someone who is sort of you know bully on the on the pitch there. So I'm all for it. I I totally love this.
1: So so you'd maybe characterize this as this is some of the disruption. This is what happens, right? When you put technology in, you disrupt the existing market. Folks get agitated. That's that's what disruption is, right? It's it's causing that's, agitation. I yeah, you know, I, I I I'm I'm a little bit torn. I I will say I'm a little torn. Um, but but I get it. I totally get it. And and you want to get it right. You want to get it right.
0: You so, do. You do. But we talked about this the other week, also, Mike. You know, the hand of God, Mar, Mar, Mar right. Maradona's. Would, that would not famous have scored that his infamous goal, right? Would not have scored. English yeah. soccer
1: fans, if they could go back on that one, they would want that back.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So it cuts both ways. You it know, cuts both but, ways. Yeah.
1: Well, we're we're always watching technology and, and and I will say when I do watch these games, Vlad, it does kind of stink how long they take. That that is and, and I don't know how to speed that up. I don't have that I don't have the 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 solution to that. Um which is kind of that complaint we've had in other places 'cause subjective fouls take longer to review and and then this disrupts the flow but if you're getting it right in major events then that's i guess you honor that right 100 percent and 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 and
0: another sport which i'm sort of linked to personally because my daughter plays volleyball but we've been watching some you know professional leagues in you know europe and i think the the coaches have maybe you know two calls a set or something like that to Question a call, and they go to the tape they they go back and you know review oh. the tapes and and in volleyball it's really really tough because you have these balls going really hard. did you touch it? Did you not touch it? did it you know land on the line outside of the line i mean it's okay. really hard to determine from you know standing like I said you know twenty yards away okay um and so you know it it has improved the quality of the sport, and I think long term it'll it'll improve the quality of soccer too you know I just think you know it's one of these where you've got a bunch of you know purists who think that it shouldn't be touched it's some kind of you know godlike sport and <laughs> yeah
1: yeah totally are are you suggesting there's an hawkeye opportunity for the lines of a volleyball court is that oh is that 100% a hawkeye it already here? exists it already oh, exists it already does okay okay
0: and Good it's deal. it's used throughout and it's it's it is it is used it is used throughout and and they also use it when you when you hit the ball across the net you know, if if you touch it or don't touch it on the blocks, you know, people try to touch the ball and counts block it. Counts as a touch, right? Yeah. It, it counts as a touch. So so it's a it's a big deal. I mean, it can it can turn a game around for sure.
1: Okay. That's a good deal. Well, um there's always an interesting lens when technology's in there. So I I just thought we'd share that with our listeners and appreciate uh appreciate you twisting me there, Lov Vlad. <laughs> I like it. All right. We're going to take a short break and after the break, we're going to talk to Brian Weese, Georgetown University's men's soccer coach. Georgetown is the most recent NCAA soccer champion, and Brian has been a coach there for the last 15 years. In his tenure at Georgetown, Weese has coached 20 players who have signed with an MLS squad, one Herman Trophy finalist, three Herman Trophy semifinalists, 10 All-Americans, Thirty-three regional All-Americans, eleven Big East Players of the Year, and fifty-one All-Big East honorees, as well as the College Cup Most Outstanding Offensive Player—quite the resume, Vlad. The team has seen unprecedented success under Wees with seven NCAA Tournament berths in a nine-year span, and the squad has also won four Big East regular-season championships, three, three Big East tournament championships, and been ranked among the top 25 in nine seasons, including stints at number one in the country. From 1996 to 2005, Wees worked under nationally ranked coach Bobby Clark for five seasons at Stanford University, and then for five more at the University of Notre Dame. Welcome to the pod, Brian.
0: Mike and I really enjoy doing the Pod and Point podcast, and we hope that you like listening to us gab about our favorite subjects, sports and business. We hope that you also learned something from our experiences and that we bring to the forefront important news about the industries that in many ways shape our lives each day. If you like our podcast, please subscribe and tell your friends, family members, and colleagues about it. Write a review and let us know what you think about our work and how we can make it better. You can also suggest stories that we should be picking up. Our contact information is in the show notes. Thank you for your time and thank you for letting us know how we can be on point even more. Brian, good afternoon. Good morning. How are you?
2: Good. Good good, uh, good. afternoon. Very good. Thank you.
0: Excellent. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're very excited to talk to you about your program and um, all, all the fun stuff going on over at Georgetown Soccer. So by way of introduction, Brian, tell us a, a little bit about, you know, your background, you know, how you got to Georgetown and sort of, you know, the, the experience that you've kind of you know, collected over the years prior to becoming the head coach there.
2: Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, this is, this is the, well, this would have been my 15th season at uh, Georgetown if we were able to play this fall. Um, so I'm just <laughs> in the middle of that, uh, that tenure and, and was an assistant coach at uh, Notre Dame for, uh, for five years. And then an assistant coach at Stanford for five years and did that, um, as a, the, the, my, the first two years at Stanford, I was actually in a, a master's program there, um, in engineering. I had to get a, a master's in product design. Okay. And just so happened that the time I literally started that program in nineteen ninety-six was the same time that my former coach, the coach I played for at Dartmouth, Bobby Clark, took over the Stanford program. And he asked me if, you know, I wanted to to help out and as a not as a lark. I mean, I think he needed the help. I think he was quite happy to have someone he knew and trusted to come in and do it. But for me it was just like, yeah, that'd be a fun sort of side gig to do while I'm trying to do everything else. And then I got bamboozled into turning it into a career. I shifted out of of engineering and got into, into coaching as a career. So, and uh, super happy I've I've done that. I, I, you know, it's great having a a job that you love doing. Not to say I wouldn't have loved product design stuff as I was doing it. Actually, it's funny. I was doing an internship when I was making that, I had a career path sort of crossroads in 1998, where Uh I was trying to figure out like, should I go Product design? Should I go coaching? Because Bob, Bobby, at the time said, "Well, I got the first, the, the head, the the top assistant job's open. Do you want it, uh, or do you want to do this this other thing in uh, engineering?" And I remember talking to the engineering company that I was doing an internship for. Literally, just I was just with them for maybe six weeks at that time. And I remember telling him, was like I, I think I'm going to do this soccer coaching thing instead." <laughs> and and the guy was the guy was obviously a little disappointing because I think he was they were hoping to hire me, which I'm not sure if they that would have been a good decision for them, but. Um, cause I, I honestly <laughs> think I was a highly mediocre, but I did, I remember telling him, says, you know, I just, I just think I can be pretty good at it. I think it suits me. I like it. It's just one of, you know, this is like, yeah, what else are you going to do? So yeah. the way I went
0: and, and you were also a player, right? So you've, uh, you've had some, uh, playing experience too.
2: Yeah. Well, it's it, at that time. So I graduated in 95 and, and in that time, you know, there was no real pro league to play in. And I could certainly talk about myself as if I would have played in a pro league, right? I don't know if that was really ever going to be an option for me, but I, I had bad. I had I had some bad knees in high school, and so I was. I had surgeries and this, and I, you know, they got I me up to play in college, and uh, and then I played a little bit in uh, in Africa in Boloeo with a team down in um, in in Boloeo, which was an amazing experience. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh. And so it's. It's been you know it's like everything else, like sports sort of takes you in a funny spot sometimes to do some very different yeah different yeah. So
0: so Brian, we have one more thing in common. I I didn't realize that I actually uh, part of my life I actually grew up in uh, Nigeria, so I, I lived in Africa for uh, for a few years too. So there you go, right? Uh, there we have it. There we have it. Yeah. So Brian, w- one of the reasons that we're chatting here obviously is because your team won the uh, national championship, the NCAA national championship last year. And so yeah, tell us tell us about that. You know, tell us about that year and sort of how, how did it you know start and you know, how did you guys get there? And uh, you know, w- at what point were you aware of kind of how far you're going to go?
2: Yeah, I, you know, it was a really, it was a really fun journey to be fair. I think that the, the players we had were a great group of players, um, which any national championship team has sort of its characters and its, it's special qualities. You know, I, to be honest, the, the, the team really over the last 10 years has had, a, with a couple exceptions, has had the, the capacity of, of winning uh, the national championship. We got to the final in 2012, uh, lost to Indiana in, in, in the final, um, had an amazing semifinal against Maryland in, in, a, in a college cup sort of final four experience. Um, right. And and that team was was every bit as capable. Maybe, you know, I think their regrets is like we should have won. It's one of those years where you're like, we should have won. And But, you know, you could look at the 2013, 2014, 2015. you got to kind of go through a bunch of these teams. Um, a couple years leading up to this, this 2019 team, all of which were capable of winning, and and it just it just goes to show how how damn hard it is uh, to do it, um, and you need some luck. But this group was was incredibly deep, which I think, and and a very very close, tightly knit group too. So those two things, and and listen, I mean, I say we're deep, we're deep with talent. Like there was talented, right, youth, right. So we we would bring players on uh, regularly that just it, it 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 allowed us to create a a little bit of a relentless sort of 90 minutes where it was hard for other teams. I think we wore teams down a lot, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, you know, I think that the 2012 team and that experience, I don't think we would have won in 2019 if if I didn't have the 2012 experience to prepare going into the, 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 the the final four for, um, I think doing it once was, um, was hugely important for how uh, we were able to set the mindset for, for last year. But um, you know, I think, I think it was pretty early. I think we thought we knew we we could be good, but it, you know, it was a different group because of that depth. And, and, you know, we, I think, I think the first time when, I mean, as coaches, we kind of thought maybe we could be good, but you never know until you really get into a preseason and a season. But I think the first time the team really sort of thought like this could be an inter- interesting year, uh, was when we went out to UCLA and and won is the second weekend of the year. We we'd had some good results in the first three games up to that. Okay. Yeah. Um, we went out to California and we played UC Irvine, who was an excellent team. Um, we we snuck out a late one, nothing win in a game that we didn't play particularly well in also due to UC Irvine being very good. But, but I think that's a hallmark of a good team is when you can win games that you don't really play that well in, And that team that that was, a, that was certainly the case. But then we played at UCLA, which is, you know, like men's basketball is a juggernaut of a program. Like the history of UCLA soccer is, is significant they're very talented and, uh, we went down two uh, two minutes into the game. We 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 conceded a goal. Uh, I think the first goal we conceded all year potentially as well. Uh, no, sorry, uh, but we went down. The first time we've been losing. Okay. And our starters were sort of having a hard time of that game. They, they, you know, they were playing hard, but we weren't generating much. And then we brought on you know three reserves midway through the first half. And that group just started rolling over UCLA. I think we scored a goal really quickly. They scored another goal uh, to make it two to one at halftime. They're getting a the second half. We had a bunch of you know different players on again. Scored again three one. You win the game five one at UCLA. Right? We're we're wow. we're, we're emptying <laughs> the last you know, five ten minutes yeah. of the UCLA game on the road. You never would have you never would have considered that. And so I think that was the time when the team as players were like, wow, we 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 could actually have something here.
0: That. We can do this, yeah interesting, interesting so so you won the championship and uh tell us uh, tell us you know how how did that transform you know your your position at Georgetown, <laughs> you know Georgetown is primarily known as sort of a you know, basketball, you know, lacrosse kind of, you know, school, right? There's some, there's some other teams there Uh, and not to downplay obviously what, what you've done there. So, you know, please, please, uh, I, let me, let me apologize here. Not, not make, not not make sort of statements and minimize your, your contribution to the, to the sports program. Um, But, but tell us, tell us kind of, you know, how that, you know, changed or helped change the perspective of your sport on, you know, campus in general.
2: Well, it's, it's, I, it's been an interesting time because it's certainly changed since I've gotten to Georgetown. Like right? when I when I showed up at Georgetown in two thousand six, men's and women's soccer was something that they were building. But only because they had to and and in truth, I give a huge amount of credit to the Big East as a conference. The Big East as a conference obviously has made decisions that we've always been a basketball centric conference conference right and and right. It was born of basketball. Football at that time was still a heavily part like if you think back to what the Big East conference was in '06, it was basketball, but it was heavily influenced by football. The interesting thing was is that a lot of the 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 schools in the league didn't have football, so it wasn't a unilateral right everything must decisions must be made for football and and when everything got reshuffled and restructured you know and and in effect the biggies kicked out the 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 remaining football laggards and said we're just gonna we're just gonna do basketball we're gonna do it right football just get out of our hair because you're making decisions don't make sense we're adding smu and we're adding uh, Central Florida, we're adding. Like, what right. are we doing? And so they just said, right. "Get out of here." Um, we're just going to be basketball. And we're going to do that right. And but in it, the, the sort of quiet sidebar to that is that the Big East, for for whatever reason, as a leadership group, decided that we could be good collectively in soccer and men's and women's soccer. We have one. We have won national championships as a conference, uh, and we have a history in it. And and I think rightly they said that's a niche that we can be be good at. And so they really forced Georgetown's hand to increase scholarships, to prioritize the sport a little bit. But having said that, even when I got to Georgetown in 06, we weren't, you know, there wasn't that push to, to really be nationally competitive at that time. It was just, we have to do it. So we'll do it. And, um, and then, you know, I, I give our AD, I give Lee Reed a huge amount of credit when he came in in, in 2010, I think he recognized really what we were, we weren't far away from actually sort of breaking into a national program on, on both men and women. And since, since his arrival uh, we've been to four final fours between the women's team and, and the men's team. There's four final yeah. fours yeah. Um, in about an eight year period. And so, you know, we, we as a school, I think have a really good niche. We're, we're geographically wonderfully located for recruiting, you know, Georgetown is a school. It just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pluses here that, that allow for us to, to attract kids who are who are talented and really good. So, um, winning the national championship is certainly doesn't hurt. I was one of the few people, probably uh, in the history of, of Georgetown, that's been able to give the president of the university a bear hug. I gave him a big bear hug after we won <laughs> on the field, Okay. right on the field, and uh, yeah. uh, you know, so you you have it. Just it, listen, it, it, it meant it meant a lot to our athletic department, certainly our program, our alumni base, but you know, the university a, a, in whole, I think, really appreciated it. And I think that the the interesting thing about it is. We we as a school have only won three national championships. Wow, and we were the right. first one. That's it. And I I think that surprises a lot of people because obviously basketball won in in, in eighty four, then um, women's cross country won, and uh, I think it was two thousand eleven. And so it that's it. And, and it's incredible. To think about. And so, you know, I, you, you think of my time at Stanford, where if you're not winning the national championship, nobody sort of gives you the time of day. It's just the expectation with the number of Olympic sports they have that are highly successful. That just Run through it, and, and it's just it's just not cherished the same way. Whereas you come here, it's a big deal, and it was it was a big deal, and 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 we're really we're really uh, it, it was humbling to to see the outpouring support after we won. It was great.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, Brian, you're you're not going to say this. I'm going to say it for you. You know, you've now made a contribution equal to John Thompson, so you should have at least
2: as many scholarships now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not so sure. <laughs> that one. I think I might lose that debate pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah, you, yeah. somebody has got to negotiate that stuff because my brain doesn't work that way. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think, I think the, the, uh, the impact of that uh, the, the, that basketball team in the eighties and what it did just the, the entire university is uh, significantly for the university was a significant thing that I'm not sure. sure. Will sort of. Be. <laughs> Listen, he's got a big statue in the Thompson center. I'm not That's sure. right. Not, That's right. sure I'm going to be waiting for a Weiss center anytime on campus soon with the stack. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so Brian, wanna you, you highlight a little bit about um, your your 2019 season certainly special, but so as we know with COVID kind of lost the follow on fall, the chance to defend it in a in a regular interval. We're curious about what's been the impact of that for your fall and then we know there's a lot of um, kind of unsettled waters around the roster and roster management that, that, that aren't unique to Georgetown, um, that are, you know, NCAAs put out extra eligibility. I think they've now done it for all sports. Could you just take us through how that impacts your roster with your, your season being kicked to the spring and how you, you you juggle the kids across the classes and who wants to go pro and all those different things. Could you take us through some of what's happening for you there?
2: Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's pretty complicated and it's pretty fluid to be honest with you. Right. So it's, it's a very fluid scenario and there's a lot of variables. There's a lot of things that we don't know or we don't plan on uh, regularly. So, you know, our, our group in particular, like we, we, we have a cycle where we try to get our kids to graduate in three and a half years because we have a lot of players who want to be pros. You can graduate in three and a half years and the entry into MLS starts really in January. So there's a combine. Usually there's a draft in January. They'll start preseason and January into February. And, and it's nice for our guys who are good enough to, to be done, have their degree in their back pocket, and then off they go. And uh, and and financially, it helps with families too. It lets us package families right. in a very fiscally uh, prudent way. For for um, you know, if, if someone's on pace to graduate in December the relay allows us to give that player 50% of an athletic scholarship and it counts as a full scholarship of, of a semester, right? So it just stretches our ability to make Georgia sound more affordable. There's a lot of things there that, you know, that make a lot of sense. Now what's happening now is with the season being pushed to the spring, every one of those seniors has hard decisions to make. Do they, do they go pro uh, scheduled in December and January and they're, and they're by, by forgo playing in, in um, their, their seniors. Sp- spring, if you will. Uh, MLS is still trying to figure out how are they going to integrate players um, to their natural cycle. Uh, It's really, it's really complicated Uh, for the ones who maybe want to come back. Are they coming back just for the spring? So what are they doing with their academics? Are they going to slow down? Are they going to try to get a minor uh, to do something? Are they going to enroll in in, in a a graduate program? Um, And then the extra year of eligibility, that is a blanket blanket waiver Mm -hmm. for everybody not only uh, affects the seniors, it affects the junior sophomores and, and freshmen who also all of a sudden all have an extra year of eligibility as well. So it's not only just this year, it's across the board. So it's a, it's a lost year. It's a lost year as they see it. And so everyone will have it. So it's a three year sort of ripple effect of well, what are we doing? You know, so I'll get these sort of speculative phone calls from our kids who are supposed to be freshmen in 2021, sort of sliding in questions being like, so ah, what are the seniors doing? Are they coming back for a year? Or what? When what happens because I'm sort of hoping that that guy leaves because it gives me a chance to get on the field sooner, right? So, and it's, 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 um, you know, I, I think, I think it's, it's something that, that's gonna have to be just managed. And, you know, but we'll, we'll have, we'll have eight seniors. We, we could have seven or eight of them coming back. We could have two of them coming back, you know. So, um, the spring will be very, very different from what we thought the fall was gonna look like. So, our ability to defend our national championship, try to win a second. Uh, we we were a consensus number one right. pick. I think if you talk to people, people would say we'd be the favorites to repeat with who we lost, who we have coming back. We have the number two recruiting class in the country coming in. The table is very much set for another very good run. And you could argue the team in this 2019 uh, team which is as good as it was, as deep as it was, you could argue that the 2020 version would have been better. You could argue, it's like, well, boy, we got some holes now that we weren't expecting. We, we don't have the freshmen to come in to fill yet. It's, it's this weird sort of in-between year that a lot of coaches and teams are going to be having, to be, to be honest. So it's, it's, a, it's kind of a free-for-all with what the spring is going to look like in terms of who's good, who's not, who's in form. And, uh, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out.
1: Yeah, following on, tying back to something you mentioned on you built in your in your coaching acumen insights and, and knowledge from your 2012 run and it certainly helped you in 2019. Wanna ask you about how are how are your players um, how, how do you work with them on the mental side of the game um, so that they they they're able to you know to master those moments and handle that that final four and the cup moments and things like that. Vlad and I talk all the time that, you know, things are evolving so rapidly there around looking at a player more holistically. You know, we, we grew up in an era and you played in a similar era that we did that it was kind of, a, you know, what you did on the field. And certainly the coaches cared about your family life and such, but it was just a different era. And, and now I think there's just more focus on on how players approach the game mentally and how their mental health is. And then certainly with this COVID time, how mental health is. Could you speak a little bit about that and, and how that played out for your team and is going to speculate is playing out right now?
2: Yeah, yeah. So if I if I start with the 2019 year, um, it it was a it was very much a uh, uh, exercise in us as coaches trying to make sure that they understood that they were very capable of winning. They should maybe win, Mm -hmm. right? So we actually embrace it in the first day of preseason, saying we we expect to be in the College Cup, uh, versus versus a a well let's take one game at a time we'll see what happens and well we have a lot to prove it's all that it's like well no we expect that we're gonna have to do that now let's go back to the details that you have to be at every and the consistency the consistency of our team this year was remarkable in terms of uh quality of training sessions quality and you know, ability to show up for a game no matter who you played you're always worried as a coach when you're playing a team that's not as as highly profiled and maybe they're not going to start slow and and our group really mm-hmm. didn't have those moments they just showed up and they got to work and I think I think it was because of how we were built internally and how competitive we were, and and how the guys cherished the minutes they got because they were asked to share so much. They didn't take anything for granted. They never took uh, playing time for granted. And so it wasn't so much about who we were playing. It was just about their task to not let each other down. That was actually was more manifest than than any other year we've had. And when we got to the you know the the lessons learned from twenty twelve for us was was we understood that going into a final four, um, we actually took the opposite approach to the conventional wisdom of don't look past today. Don't look past your semifinal opponent. You have to take care of that game. We actually, we actually spent a huge amount of time preparing for the week of and in through the national championship. So we actually sat the team down in in one of the the meeting rooms in the Thompson center on the Monday before we, you know, the, the final four was a, was a Friday, Sunday sequence of games. And we laid out exactly what we were going to do uh, when we were leaving, uh, uh, how we were going to be traveling, uh, the lead up to the game on sure. Friday. And then instead of stopping and saying, well, we play the game Friday and then we'll we'll look at Sunday, we actually said once we win on Friday, then this is what Friday night's going to look like. This is what Saturday morning's going to look like. This is how we're going to be structuring our Saturday. The lead into Sunday is going to look like this. And this is why we're – because we understood that – they needed to understand the, the whole picture of what was needed because of the distractions. And, you know, twenty twelve, we won the semifinal on uh, Friday, and I hadn't. We had never really planned beyond that. We sort of vaguely did, but you didn't really understand what was needed. And so, you know, we win the game on fr- on, on Friday against Maryland and penalty kicks a four to four game. This was a crazy game. Uh, we were the first game. Our assistants needed to scout the second game. They needed to watch the other semifinal to sort of figure out what we were dealing with. And nobody was really looking after the team, right? So I got uh-huh. pulled away immediately after the game to do a press conference with, with three of the you know, most influential players. So we're, four of us were sitting at this table doing this 30-minute press conference. And I'm sitting there thinking, it's like, oh, what the hell is going on with everybody in the locker room? What are they doing right now, right? And so <laughs> we didn't, we, we, there was just a lot of stuff that happened from the moment we won the game on Friday to the moment we kicked off on Sunday that we just weren't flat out prepared for because we didn't know how it was going to play out. What was what the, 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 the obligations and stressors and distractions, maybe the best word, the distractions, um, which we then knew for the second time. So, you know, we wanted to make sure that the guys had a full plan in place. So, so those kinds of things were really important in that team. I think moving forward, the, 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 you know it's it's like a different planet right now with where where the where the team is like you know georgetown is 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 hyper conservative as an institution about covid and and how we're how the the um, teams are going to be going we haven't been training we haven't been training since uh since march right so we've been we've been totally shut down a lot of other institutions are playing games or training or they're doing things and we're we're no not yet we're not ready we want to be uh, make sure we're doing it right and got it. They're very conservative. And you know, the reality is that's been incredibly hard. The emotions and the mental, the the mental side of it, the strain of it's been, been very, very difficult for, for the, but not only the players, the st- the coaches, the staff, the administration, yeah. if you're a yeah. division one athlete, it's such a big part of who you are and what drives you that when you're told you can't do it, it's just, I don't know if, I don't know if people re- recognize if you're not that level of an athlete, I don't know if you realize how hard that is to tell someone like, no, no, you can't play your sport that you're, that you that, that you're, you love. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that's been a real challenge and trying to keep them in a good mental place has been, has been really tricky. And, and, and the hardest part about it is there is no set end date for anything right now. Right. We all are hoping things are working. Like uh, basketball is trying to get up and running to have their season we we as soccer team wants that to go well because that sets the table for us to have a a successful spring sport uh possibility but listen the, the basketball guys are hoping their first game is on november whatever uh whatever it is i don't even um, but that could be pushed back because of COVID. They, they, the teams are going to—they might play against, uh, might not be able to play because of an outbreak in their team. There's so much uncertainty that it just adds a lot of anxiety and stress to these kids right now, and it's—it's it's really tough. And—and and the hard part is, you know, uh, just on, on my soapbox with this stuff is that you—we're you, so worried about COVID, uh, but it's something that you can completely get your hand, head, hand uh, handle on. You can get your head around numbers you're testing, you're positive, you're negative. Uh, we can protect with this. But then when you look at the mental side of the stress and the anxiety and the depression and the and whatever it is, well, how do you test for that? How do you, how do you know who's struggling? Right. You can't just go, go, go in and do a nasal swab and say, Oh, you're depressed and anxious. Right. It's, it's a bigger problem and something they and, and people don't know how to get their head around it. And it's, it's something that exists in, in, in pretty much every, you know, I'm not just talking college. You, you you go across any you know high school, middle right. school, up right. to the pros. Like this is this is a it's deeper. This is yeah. a real challenge that we're all dealing with as a society.
0: Brian, I want to segue into into sort of from from your perspective into kind of the state of the you know U- U.S. soccer, if you will, in general, right? And and I and I kind of see you as sort of. Uh, you know being at the pinnacle of 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 the NCAA game right and then at the same time you know ideally you know what 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 you produce the athletes that you have should then feed into you know MLS and perhaps other you know leagues leagues around the world um when i was at georgetown you know playing for coach thompson one of the things that i remember him saying you know, if you guys, you know, win the national championship, you know, likely all of you are going pro, right? It's a little different in soccer these days, right? Tell us, tell us sort of how, you know, what are the prospects for your players? And then we can sort of jump into kind of like, what what does that mean for, you know, U.S. soccer in general? And, and you know, how, how has that been evolving over the last, you know, 25, 30 years or so?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's different. It's a little different. It's, A, is different in soccer because, you know the money still isn't isn't there to to really pull pull kids out. It's really the opportunity that's there, right? Because for our place in the soccer sort of pecking order as a college as an NCAA uh, organization, it, we're just different than than how basketball works. We're different from how football works. Where it you know the the college stepping stone is perceived from the NFL from the NBA as a natural progression, right? It is the platform from which they pick their, their talent. And, and the dollars are so big now that, that, you know, if you're playing for a year and you're going to be a, a, a lottery pick, you're going, you're going it's just it's financially too, too risky, not to. And, um, and whereas in soccer, you're the top players, um, that's either, that, that a lot of times even just bypass the ones who don't even go to college, but the ones who maybe leave college after a year or two, they're they're really getting, relatively speaking, very little money uh, to do that, and so it's the opportunity to go pro that they're trying to figure out. And so for our guys, you know, we won the national championship. We 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 wouldn't have had a single player who was going to leave early. Funnily enough, wow. Um, having said that, Virginia, the team we played in the final, had an unbelievably talented group of players. Um, they had four players that left early, to different opportunities. And so some of that's just cultural within a program. So for us, our guys are are come here as a pathway to be a pro but really also to get a degree so we don't really have any knock I'll knock on wood we haven't had anybody leave after one or two years to, to go pro because there's just too much to do to get their degree I think our players I think we do a good job culturally having our guys understand why they're at Georgetown and what they're doing in order to get that degree but it's it's an interesting situation for us in that that MLS and U.S. soccer do not perceive college as the same sort of stepping stone platform as the NBA does or, or as the NFL does for their talent pool. And, and in fact, a lot of times they'll say, Hey, you should, if you're going to make it, you should just skip out on college altogether and sign a pro contract at age 16 or 17, even though those contracts are interesting, very small. yeah, Like they're really speculative. I mean, it's, you know, if I'm a parent, I'm like, well, hold on. Like you're, you're giving up a college degree for that. I'm not sure, sure. But what they're being told is, you know you've got to get yourself in the pro pipeline earlier. And if there's a real issue with our development cycle, and, and I could talk about this a lot, is we as a country want to migrate our system. And we work a lot of people work very hard to try to migrate our development system and, in and, and have it become really an emulation of the European model, right? They they they, they everyone looks at, at England and they look at Germany and they say. That's how we should be doing it. We are crushing ourselves. We are killing ourselves in the World Cup, the, the, the chase to a World Cup, a World Championship, uh, in developing players to to be sold at the highest levels of the international market, etc. We're killing ourselves because they go to college. And, and, and the reality is it's, it's, it's just nonsense. It's, it's total nonsense.
0: I I agree with you 100% and I come from the European world from you know basketball which is exactly which probably is similar to the way that soccer is I think there also none of the top players really go to college half of them leave in high school and things like that so so it's actually I I did not know this that this is you know that they're trying to emulate that it's that's really a shame
2: I mean the 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 reality is is that if you talk to people in Europe about our system with having a university structure <laughs> in the pipeline, they'll all say, "Well, that's what they need to get to." They'll feel really strongly. About it. They feel <laughs> right. really strongly right. about this. Is our system's right. not good? It's broken. It's immoral. They, a lot of times, it's amazing how many times they use it immoral uh, because these kids will go out of an education pathway, not get signed, and then you know they've they've been trying to be a pro from twelve to sixteen or twelve to eighteen, and then they have nothing. Uh, there's no recourse for these kids, wow. and so yeah. You know, I, I think I think it's 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 incredible though, if you talk to people on our side, they're really strong about we we're killing ourselves, we gotta be better, we gotta get college out of the system. And then you go over to Europe and talk to they're all like, how do we get to like they're jealous of a the facilities, infrastructure, support that universities provide? They're they they can not believe the fact that it's it's in effect free development for these clubs, MLS clubs, like, man, that's amazing that you have that system in place for these guys. and and there's nothing they can do right. about it they recognize right. that there's nothing they can do about it to get to the u.s model which is what they say is the, is the real model they should be doing and and the reason i say it's nonsense is is you do have like right now you have 10 americans playing on teams that are playing in the champions league 10 of them mm-hmm. most of them right. are 18 19 20 like they're really this wonderfully young crop of of players and so you're saying how well, how is that broken like we're building in the right and so and so and so a lot of people will use the failure of the US to qualify for the last world cup as a good example and i i, I would say well the, the the issue that we have is holistically people haven't recognized that the the structure of our country with with the volume of players we have in this country 330 million people produces a lot of soccer players if you choose to let it happen. You have high school, you have club, you have pay for play, you have MLS developmental academies, you have college, you have um, these growing USL league coming underneath the MLS league. You have, it's just, it's incredible. Like this, this sort of blooming infrastructure of soccer that if I were to be critical of like the Klinsman era of us soccer, they wanted to cut everything out except for a very narrow pathway from a very you know the the U.S. soccer development into this bypass college going to, and and they just they just they they were blind to the fact of, of the of the, the 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 possibilities out there from a grassroots level of development and growth and so you'll have to recognize like you won't get a lot of kids who go through a high school system only that are going to be different level players but there sure might be some because. That may be the only place that some of the great talents can pay, can can play without having to pay huge amounts of money, and so nice. just being open yeah. to how we're all built. But getting back to it, those ten, those ten players that are now in a, in a Champions League, the highest potential level for a club system team to be playing in, and we're talking about Juventus and Chelsea and and Dortmund and 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 Barcelona. You're talking about the the biggest clubs in the world. These kids are playing at. You have ten of them. You tell me how that's broken right? You tell me how we've gotten to that level. And some of those, some of those players are college players, but the vast majority are kids that bypass college. And so what you, what you have is yeah. the option for, it's the fact that we have choices for different players. We have different developmental cycles for players. We have players that if they're special, if you're a Christian Pulisic, you shouldn't go to college because you're going to make a ton of money at Chelsea. You should go to Dortmund and do that. Like that, that's great for those kids who are at that level at age 16, or age 17, right? That makes a ton of sense for those kids. But then there's other players that may, maybe need a year or two of college because they haven't, they haven't developed just that level yet. And, and if just college wasn't enough, there right. for those players, they weren't quite ready to be a pro. What happens to that little pool of kids? And then there's the other ones who are, maybe they need four years of college to get through and graduate before they're ready. So it's, the whole structure can work together really wonderfully well depending on where each player is and when they're found and when they're discovered and what their whole cycles of, 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 of when they're ready to play at that level. It's not, it's not that you when you're 16, you know or you don't. Sometimes kids need a few more years. And, and it's not <laughs> all in time that if that's the case.
0: Very true, very true. And then a the second part of my question, um, Brian, there was was sort of the overall state of, you know, US US soccer. So back in the mid nineties, ninety four was when the World Cup came to the US and it was sort of a really kind of a big marker, I think, for the country and for the sport to really kick it off, right? How would you evaluate sort of the path from from that point to where we are today?
2: It's the pathway is a bit is a long one, right? Like so the, the ninety four World Cup was given to the US with the uh, expectation that we we're going to start a pro league and the pro league in 1996 started and and, and away it went was done in a way that um, was really league friendly so it wasn't player friendly at all it was designed it was league owned players were owned by the league uh players weren't paid that much but it was designed to survive and and now when you look at 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 and, and that for me is also the next big piece to to everything is is the growth of MLS, the growth of USL? I think you're seeing more and more, what I would call tribalism. Right? You've seen passion in the communities for uh, what's going on in Seattle. You're seeing Atlanta uh, pull up to do some things uh, with huge crowds, and they're understanding sort of where you, where how you market, how you, where you put stadiums now to 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 get it right. And then even the USL level, right? My hometown, Albuquerque, New Mexico, has has a, a USL team that draws. Great crowds, right? For the size of the community, they'll they'll draw you know ten thousand yeah, people to these yeah. games, and the the atmosphere you can watch it is, is just fantastic to be at, and that's not uncommon. You see these smaller markets popping up, so we're sort of growing in in sort of a really fun way at the moment right now. That allows us to, I, th- I think, build that sort of TV base, build that fan base, to maybe inject some more money, to get more people excited about playing as as a youngster, to. to to go to go to Atlanta United, go to Seattle, go to LAFC, and 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 be a eight year old sitting in the stands and and get, catch the bug, to then decide I'm gonna I'm gonna be a soccer player when I grow up versus you know a basketball player or a football player or a, whatever it is right that kind of stuff is it, it just takes time to cultivate and to grow and I think we're in a really exciting time in in terms of. Uh, where we are as a country and where we're getting to, I, I, I really think we're, we're, we're well on the track to being uh, not, uh, competitive on a World Cup stage. Um, I don't think that's far in the future at all. And, and I think it's, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that all comes out of this COVID situation, right? With this little pause button that, that, you know, the momentum of what was going on with crowds and MLS and, you know, are we going to come out with, and, and, and just kind of be able to pick up where we left off?
1: Hey, so Brian, um, great great look into and lens into U.S. soccer and that landscape. You know, if, if you had a magic wand and could wave it uh, and and to make any changes to build in this thing, is, is there something that 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 you or or your colleagues talk about that you would say, hey, let's do this type of thing, and and it, it could really you know put inject even more energy.
2: No, I you know it, it, it's it's kind of piggybacks onto what I was just talking about with with you really would love to get a, a, a leadership piece at the U.S. soccer level and MLS level that really understands that holistic pyramid of, of what we are that no one in the no one else in the world can also can emulate. We will win a World Cup when we do win a World Cup because we have a good uh, pro structure with with the best players now instead of being shipped over to Chelsea whatever they're maybe going to stay in, in MLS because the level is good enough for them to develop how they need to right and uh, and and to recognize that the, the, these smaller markets this this USL league would be it should be if it can grow to truly compete with MLS in that level so instead of saying there's the MLS tier and then USL tier saying well we got these these leagues that that would be wonderfully healthy too but integrating college into that development instead of saying instead of excluding it and recognizing the, 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 the breadth and volume of our youth system and how do we do this and not, not mandating you have to do this X, Y, and Z, but, but, but embracing, like I said, you know high school, they're, they're, it's so expensive for these kids to play youth soccer that how many kids out there are, are, are waiting to be the next great soccer player that just won't ever play at a level where it's in the pipeline to be seen. So you know, understanding how do, we, how do we move away from a pay to play model to make use of the entire base of potential soccer greats out there and, and paying attention to maybe the odd kid in high school who just never played club because they couldn't afford it. But that, you know, but he's, he's, he's someone that we have to pay attention to and figure out how to, how to inject him into a system that, that can develop him farther. Like it, instead of saying, we don't have time for high school, we don't have time for the, it's like, we are who we are. Let's figure out how to, how to, how to play to the strengths of everybody and integrate them it's not an easy challenge, but that's where we need someone who has a willingness to want to do that.
0: Yeah. And you bring up a very interesting point. If it becomes so expensive to play this sport, you're you're not going to get the kids that are, you know, hungry and kind of really want to, you know, use it as a way, you know, out of their, you know, social environment, if you will. I think in basketball and football, you can sort of, you know, pinpoint to that, you know, directly, right? I think in, you know, European Latin American soccer, also right. It's usually these these kids who are, you know, kind of left to their own devices, and this is, you know, this is their path out of out of you know whatever environment that they have. And and I think if 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 you make the sport so, you know, prohibitive, like you said, you know, you have to you know play in a club, and that club costs you know five, six, seven, eight thousand bucks a year to to you know just participate. That's that's going to be hard.
2: Yeah, and and it's and it's it's soccer, most like basketball. Are, is a sport that's very easy and cheap to play everyone can play it and and you can play it with you don't yeah. even need a soccer ball right you, you go to you know a lot of you go you go back to nigeria and you'll see people rolling up sh- like t-shirts and tying it up into a ball and that's now they you got 20 people running around uh with makeshift goals and they're having a great time and they're all different shapes and sizes and ages and it's a wonderfully easy sport to play much like the ability to go out and play a pickup basketball i mean all you need is 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 in this country is just a you know playground with a couple of hoops which everyone has and away you go you get a ball and away you right. go soccer right. is, is wonderful and the difference is is that soccer it's really hard in our sport if you're not playing it at age six seven eight and I'm not talking about organized just playing it you need to be playing it at that young age just to sort of to develop that sort of soccer nuance with how you move and how you how your how you're, your comfort level is just making that more and more available and 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 and, and not having it be something where you, if you're not playing with an organized coach or and organized team you're you're out of luck at, at whatever age that needs to happen
0: if you look at the sort of the landscape of the of the game in the u.s and uh where where we're heading what's georgetown soccer what's mls soccer going to look like in about a decade
2: Oh man, about a decade, huh? Um, <laughs>
0: I'm giving you a long a horizon a long, long runway here, here. Ten, years, the ten years the
2: ten year path that's you know it it's interesting i think I think from a national team level, I actually think it'll be pretty exciting i think i think you you'll have um if we get it right and the national the 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 rising sort of pool of of available talent is 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 more exciting now than it maybe has ever been uh, for. Uh, Burhalter and that group of of coaches to try to figure out so um there's there's opportunity to have truly competitive national teams in the next 10 years right where maybe we'll be in a world cup final or semi-final like, and, and 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 we've been close o- over the years but i think that's 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 where i you know i think we would all be disappointed if in that 10-year window we're not really really close to, to to maybe winning something on that level but having said it like everything else you, there's you have to be awfully lucky to win it so whether you win or not is is not the issue It's like are we good enough to have won it that's always the question you have to ask right and so yeah you know with mls you know i i'd love to see mls's market grow i'd love to see i mean like, these things go hand in hand that the quality of the of the teams are getting better and better the crowds are getting better, better. But wouldn't it be nice if the money in that league allowed us to start pulling in players in their prime more and more from England and Germany and Italy? And that's, you know, that's sort of a double-edged sword. You have to invest in the right things to go. But will, will the money in MLS become something that's more on par with Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NFL, wouldn't with the, the and hockey. When will we get the the player pool? So it's not just the the one percenters that get the the six million a year, which the, those guys are there in the in the league, but the vast yeah. majority are sitting on eighty thousand, one hundred twenty thousand. You know, they're getting good money, but not enough to make it something where you're going to pull in the, the the best of the best. But wouldn't it be nice if 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 my situation at Georgetown was trying to talk a sophomore? into staying maybe for one more year at Georgetown and pass up that $3 million signing bonus to go to MLS. Like, wouldn't that be a great conversation to have? Right. And that's a different problem. And I can understand maybe why they would tell me no at that time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Well, great. Uh, Well, Brian, thank you so much for your time. Um, It's been really a pleasure and uh, great to hear about, you know, your perspective on the sport. Yeah. Thank you
2: guys. You too. Appreciate
0: the conversation
1: appreciate it, Brian. Looking forward to seeing how your team does in this coming me too. spring.
0: Me too. All right. Cheers. All right. Take care. All right, Mike. I have our uh, – come on, man, for this week. Are you ready? Let's hit
1: it. I'm ready. Hit me.
0: All right. We're going to stay within soccer. We're going to stay within soccer, and we're going to head over to Lionel Messi, our, our favorite Argentine slash Spaniard here that we've talked to over the last sure. couple of weeks. Okay. So, um, Leo. As, as we've talked, you know he's been trying to leave Barcelona now uh, for the last few months. But it sounds yeah. like it sounds like Mike he actually tried to leave uh, Barcelona as early as 2014. Uh, okay. Chelsea sounds like had offered him a deal f- um, worth as much as 290 million, uh, <sighs> basically Ooh. for you know 65 million bucks a year plus some Ooh. you know um, image rights and you know things things like that. Okay, and um, I guess we we'll stopped the deal. I don't know. His dad, his dad said, "No son, no Come son. On. No son." He looked at this his deal. His dad stopped uh, the deal. His dad is his agent and he said, "Uh-uh, we're not doing this." <laughs> and he put him back in his place, put him in his corner.
1: So 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 he's like 34 now, so 6 years ago, Tw- 28-year-old Leo Messi gets stopped yep. by dad.
0: Yep. Uh, he got he got grounded. He got grounded <laughs> in Barcelona. On, man.
1: Come on. <laughs> oh, wow. I wonder I wonder if his wife was on board and so so wife and he get shut down by dad, right? He gets shut
0: down by dad, Yeah. Uh, so no Chelsea uh, for you. So so interesting, <laughs> interesting. I mean, I think, you know, he's obviously, you know, <laughs> You know, he's looking for something new. I I I think he's been looking for something new. Yeah. And and I and I think, you know, I think at some point somebody needs to let him out of this place. Oh, <laughs> just so he man. can have a life again. Let
1: him come into his own somewhere yeah. in there. He's stewing. So he's been stewing for six years. That dad, dad shut me down. I gotta stay.
0: He yeah, <laughs> yeah. A, a long oh. time. A long oh. time. I, I so. feel for the guy.
1: I mean that that sixty five million he turned down turned into what, seventy million a year in his next contract with Barcelona, so Woo.
0: I, that change. is a come on, man. I, Jump I think, change.
1: I think he needs a new agent. <laughs>
0: Might, be. <laughs> Might be. Might be. Might be. All righty. That's a good one. All right. So thank you all for listening. We appreciate you guys coming back to us this week again. Uh, hit subscribe on um, your favorite podcast app or wherever you download your podcasts. Tell us what you think about the show. Tell your friends. Tell your family. And um, if there's some news that you would like us to talk about, please reach out to us through um, our contact information, which is listed in the show notes. Mike, another great week. That was a good one. Appreciate it, Vlad. Good game. All right. Good game. We'll see you next week. We'll catch you next time. Cheers. Cheers.